I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. Well, yeah, I know I just won the Super Bowl. But Disney World? I don't want to go to Disney World. It's high noon for Friday, February 5th on Sunday, February 7th, 2021. You can follow the podcast on the Telegram Messenger app at t.me slash I'm your moderator or join the discussion thread at t.me slash be reasonable discussion. I'm also on Gab at I'm your moderator and who knows where else you'll see me. So this is part two of the podcast that should have come out on the 16th, but is actually coming out on the 18th full day of Barack Obama's third term as served by the half-dead, demented, degenerate, ventriloquist dummy, fake proxy president, Joe Biden, who is overwhelmingly compromised by the Chinese Communist Party to the point where he'll do literally anything they say. He's the patriarch of one of the country's worst families and the father of one of the most despicable humans you'll find anywhere. He's also the husband of a woman who calls herself doctor, even though she's never saved anyone and really just wrote a long paper about community colleges. But she gets to star in a Super Bowl halftime commercial, and everyone knows that only doctors can do that. She's going to actually star with the Bidens 
two dogs, probably like Hunter and Scrappy are their names because Hunter is actually a dog and she's going to tell a country of actual American adults with eyes and ears and brains that they need to wear masks everywhere as a way of taking care of their dogs. Because really, fuck you, America. We're the Bidens and we're gonna say whatever we want or, you know, whatever China tells us to. But trust us, we are with the program and if you do everything we say, your life is gonna be great. Hallelujah, you win. Can you go to Disney World? Yes. Can you go in Disney World's underground tunnels? Well, maybe if your last name is Epstein or Clinton. Otherwise, the underground tunnels at Disney World do not exist. End of story. So, as I was saying, today is part two of yesterday's part one of Friday's podcast. And if that seems convoluted and crazy to you, well, there's nothing I can do about that. You're going to have to change your perceptions. So we were talking yesterday about Time's really mind-blowing article, The Secret History of the Shadow Campaign That Saved the 2020 Election, where they describe a vast left-wing conspiracy to make sure that Donald Trump definitely does not win the 2020 election, but they reframed it as not worrying at all about Donald Trump winning because everybody knows that the country doesn't want more of Trump, even though the polls say they do. The goal was to make sure that the election was not a calamity. And since it was not a calamity, that means that this vast, wide-ranging conspiracy actually worked to save America and save the election, even though the election actually was a calamity. So I feel like we've caught up. I'm going to start today with the section of the article called the disinformation defense. And the first sentence of this section is hilarious by accident. The first sentence is bad actors spreading false information is nothing new. And of course, that sentence is literally exactly right, just not in the way they're saying. We have, I live in Hollywood. We have a whole city of bad actors spreading false information. Literally, some of the stupidest people on earth, complete ignorance about almost every subject under the sun, especially all of the ones that they talk the most passionately about. They literally know nothing. Can I quiz you? Sure. Okay, let me ask you any question. Do you know the answer? No, they don't. Quiz over. F. Big red letter F. It's too bad we can't write it all on their foreheads for when they go up and tell the rest of America how to live at the award speeches where they give each other little statues for mediocre work on mediocre projects because 
aesthetics and artistic standards are a thing of the past. Now we celebrate political views. So bad actors spreading false information is nothing new. Nailed it, time. The most honest, among the most honest sentences of this entire 6,500 word article. Congratulations. Moving on. The most important takeaway from Quinn's research, this is Laura Quinn, a veteran progressive operative, operative, that word again, who co-founded Catalyst with an I instead of a Y. I guess that makes it smarter. She piloted a nameless secret project, which she has never before publicly discussed, that tracked disinformation online and tried to figure out how to combat it. And what did she figure out? Well, by golly, it's censorship. If, if you don't like the things that, are, that, that people are saying, the best way to combat it is not to actually argue why it's wrong. It's just to simply censor it. So congratulations, Laura Quinn. You have made a real technological advancement that the Nazis definitely had no idea about. Really, really good. I mean, if you want to live in a totalitarian hellscape, then Laura Quinn is your woman. She knows exactly how to get the job done. But back to the passage that I started reading. The most important takeaway from Quinn's research, however, was that engaging with toxic content only made it worse. When you get attacked, the instinct is to push back, call it out, say this isn't true, Quinn says. But the more engagement something gets, the more the platforms boost it. The algorithm reads that as, oh, this is popular. People want more of it. The solution, she concluded, was to pressure platforms to enforce their rules, both by removing content or accounts that spread disinformation and by more aggressively policing it in the first place. The platforms have policies against certain types of malign behavior, but they haven't been enforcing them, she says. Now, this is absolutely batshit crazy. So what she's saying is that not only should the platforms more stringently enforce the rules that they have, they should make their rules more strict against disinformation. But disinformation, just that term, is undefined. Disinformation, as they define it, is whatever they don't agree with. They make new words racist. They make new words sexist. They just invent that somehow there is a history of a word that connects to something that may be racist. Therefore, using the word in the present is also racist. They have called the word cabal anti-Semitic. Yet she says it. Molly Ball writes it right into this article. So apparently it's not anti-Semitic when she says it. And it's especially not anti-Semitic when she accuses that group of people of forming a cabal, a secret cabal, a secret cabal who has the goal of making sure that communications channels are cut 
if what's being spread is disinformation, controlling the narrative, creating the narrative, influencing behavior, changing the way people are able to vote. The most basic element of free speech in a free country is the participation in the choosing of that country's leaders. But they have no problem influencing it because they're the good guys. And really, thank goodness. We should start a, uh, an organization, potentially a hashtag. We'll need to get a, a bright color and then a communist fist painted in the, mi in the middle. And it should be like hashtag, thank you for the rules. Thank you for giving us rules. Hashtag, thank you for giving us rules. Hashtag, you did it, commies. The next section of Molly Ball's really astounding, stunning piece is called Spreading the Word. Beyond battling bad information, there was a need to explain a rapidly changing election process. It was crucial for voters to understand that despite what Trump was saying, mail-in votes weren't susceptible to fraud. And that it would be normal if some states weren't finished counting votes on election night. And of course, everybody's familiar with this concept. They told it to us for months and months and months. It just happens not to be true at all. Now, there are two parts of that statement. One, that mail-in voting is not susceptible to fraud. And two, that it would be totally normal if it was too difficult to count the votes on election night. Now, the first part we've already talked about, I talked about it yesterday in part one, about how mail-in voting is the single most open to fraud method of voting. The single most. There isn't something that even competes with it. It is absolutely true that if you wanted to defraud an entire election, there would be no better way to do that than to increase the number of mail-in votes dramatically and then take them and put them through a process that does its best to hide all the fraud. And of course, that's exactly what happened. This narrative that mail-in voting is the most secure or that is even secure at all is just a complete and total bald-faced lie. It just isn't true. And people on the left know that. People on the left also know that the machine tallying the votes do not work. If you don't believe me, watch Kill Chain on HBO. You'll see college students able to hack these machines in no time, and you'll see Democratic senator, who was a presidential primary candidate on the Democratic side, Amy Klobuchar, going along with the entire narrative. It is honestly stunning that they are so brazen about trying to completely reverse narratives they themselves have perpetuated. But that's only part one of that problem. The idea that states couldn't have finished counting ballots 
on election night is false. Florida has an opt-in mail-in voting system. Florida has been running that system for a very long time. Florida has proper safeguards in place. That's not the same situation as what they put into effect in all of these key swing states. It's not the same situation as California or Oregon or Washington or Illinois or Minnesota, okay? But Florida, one of the biggest states in terms of population, was done on election night and has not been challenged. So Florida got it done. But for these other states, we should expect that it's going to take longer. And the only reason that anyone believes that is because they think, oh, yeah, gosh, it's going to be really difficult for the, for the U.S. Postal Service to get these in, all these extra ballots. They're just going to keep flooding in. But that, again, is bullshit. We know that plenty of people sent their ballots in be well before the election or they drop them in Mark Zuckerberg's drop boxes. So what votes were coming in three days, four days, five days, six days, seven days after the election? It wasn't like they were mailing stuff from the Northeast tip of Maine all the way to Southern California. They were mailing it within the same, same state and often the same county or same locality. And then those ballots would arrive and they would be counted. Not days later, not weeks later. They got there. The real legitimate votes got there on time. And everyone knows that Trump absolutely destroyed Joe Biden on election day in a monumental landslide. That's real. That happened. The ballots that arrived after election day were brought in in trucks and vans. They were shipped over state lines. Many of these were literally fake ballots that were produced in China and sent over. They're not receiving three or four or even a few hundred or even a few thousand votes that just got hung up in the mail. Sorry, the mail got delayed, but we actually did find uh, Miss Smith's vote and it's November 5th, but yeah, it was postmarked on November 2nd. I think we should count this one. Okay, fine. I can be reasonable about that, but what I can't be reasonable about is affidavits and hard proof and video documentation of ballots under tables being run through machines over and over again in the middle of the night after the room has been cleared of all observers. Can't, can't abide that. I can't abide a van arriving at 3.30 in the morning to the TCF Center in Detroit where tens of thousands of ballots just appear out of nowhere. Because of course, Michigan's an important state we need Joe Biden to win Michigan. What happens if we don't get all these tens of thousands of ballots in? They come in in perfect condition, already marked down for Joe Biden. Are we supposed to pretend that that is the system 
that everybody kind of gave their passive consent to by saying, okay, we understand it'll take a few more days. Of course not. Of course not. What goes in your mind when they say these mail-in ballots might keep coming in for a couple of days and we're going to have to count those is somebody drops their ballot in the mail on November 3rd or prior and it gets delayed somewhere. Maybe it doesn't go in the main shipment that it was supposed to. And somebody finds it a day or two later and says, oh my goodness, how did we miss this one? But what the media did and what this narrative did is take that situation that we all understand and it extrapolated it across an entire system. So that all of a sudden we decided that millions or tens of millions of votes ended up in that situation. And because we had already accepted the narrative from the beginning, we had no problem accepting it after November 3rd, even though we saw millions, millions, millions. Not five, not 10, not a few at every precinct, millions, millions. How does anyone believe that? That's not what we were sold. Back to the article. The organization's tracking polls found the message was being heard. The percentage of the public that didn't expect to know the winner on election night gradually rose until by late October, it was over 70%. A majority also believed that a prolonged count wasn't a sign of problems. They are literally bragging about the public being convinced of their lie. Also, the idea that 70% of voters understanding that they may not know the winner on election night is not necessarily indicative of the conclusion that they're drawing. The idea that they know that's possible doesn't mean that they consent to the situation. I knew it was possible and indeed likely because I understood what they were doing, what the ultimate goal was. It doesn't mean I was okay with it. Those are different things. Yes, I understand that the system has been so defrauded and so manipulated that you guys are gonna keep the election going for as long as it takes to pump in enough fake votes to get Biden ahead where he needs to be at. It's actually amazing that they even tried it in North Carolina. And if you'll recall, even though Trump won that state, that was initially one of those key swing states. They realized that they could do without it if the system worked better in other places. And so that's exactly what they accepted. Can anyone, anyone anywhere, explain why Alaska took weeks to declare a winner? We never heard anything about that reason, did we? And what about Arizona and Virginia? They called Virginia as soon as the first polls closed and then moved it back into too close to call, too early to call. Arizona, they called right as the Arizona polls closed. They called that for Biden. And then it turns out that Biden only actually won, you know, won in quotes, 
by 11,000 votes. And Maricopa County officials are still making it impossible for the Arizona Senate to get access to their machines so that a full forensic audit can be done. The Maricopa County Board of Supervisors, all five of them, there's a vote tomorrow about whether or not they are going to be arrested by the Arizona State Senate's Sergeant of Arms for refusing to comply with this subpoena. So you have county officials disobeying state officials and intentionally trying to obscure the reality of what happened in the 2020 election. None of this is good. None of it is appropriate. And bragging that the public believed all this is okay is mind-blowing. So the next section, people power. The best way to ensure people's voices were heard, they decided, was to protect their ability to vote. Oh, thanks. We started thinking about a program that would complement the traditional election protection area, but also didn't rely on calling the police. Really? Why? If someone's doing something illegal, if someone is making threats, the police are exactly the right people to call. They're the people whose job it is to protect you from crimes, from illegal activity. But no, we don't want the police, says Nellini Stamp, the Working Families Party's national organizing director. Working Families Party. That sounds like communism. They created a force of, quote unquote, election defenders who, unlike traditional poll watchers, were trained in de-escalation techniques. During early voting and on election day, they surrounded lines of voters in urban areas with a, quote unquote, joy to the polls effort that turned the act of casting a ballot into a street party. Black organizers also recruited thousands of poll workers to ensure polling places would stay open in their communities. Stay open? You need thousands of poll workers to ensure that the polling places stay open? What? No, you don't. The polling places stay open. That's what polling places do. And I know we've all seen the reports about how they were trying to close polling places even though people were online. If that happens, it's rare. What they're doing here is absurd. Thousands of people, they were surrounding the lines of voters in urban areas. And of course, this is coded language for black voters, right? Black, urban, what would they have done if Trump supporters had organized a multiracial effort of the community coming to surround the lines of voters to protect their right to vote, of course, to keep the polls open, to make sure that they knew what they were doing? 
They would call that voter intimidation and illegal influence. But as long as it's black people who are Democrats in urban areas, voter intimidation and voter influence are just fine. We have video of this stuff happening, of people trying to influence the votes of people already in line, the signage out there. We had poll workers with Biden-Harris face masks on. All of that is illegal. And we have to pretend that it's okay because it's black and urban. And we can't say that they're doing anything wrong because as we all know, the media tells us that anyone who is not black and urban is racist against black and urban people. And so they can't do anything wrong. And if we say that they are, then we are racist too. And this is how problems start. We accept these narratives because we feel guilty somehow for our own behavior. If you're not racist, you don't need to feel guilty about some other person of your race being a racist. I wouldn't go say to my black friends, hey man, you know that stuff that, uh, fuck, well, it was like, oh, Nick Cannon. You know that stuff Nick Cannon said about whites and Jews? I'm gonna need you to apologize to me for that. My black friends would look at me and be like, bro, you're joking, right? And I'd be like, yeah, man, of course I'm joking. That sounds like the stupidest thing in the world. I would never advise that. But that doesn't go the other way around. The media tells us and culture tells us that if we are white, then we are responsible for white racists. And to that I say, hey, culture, Go fuck yourself. There is no way in hell that I am going to take responsibility for someone else's racism. And I'm also not going to allow you to tell me that somehow I am responsible. I am responsible for myself. It is not even possible for me to take, res to take moral responsibility for something someone else did because I cannot assume the guilt of that thing. And I also won't be consumed and influenced by collective guilt. It is not racist to say that what they did in surrounding lines at polling places is intimidation, it's wrong, and it's maybe illegal, depending on how much they were actually talking to these voters and influencing them. They are not supposed to be campaigning outside polling places. They're not supposed to have signs that tell people how to vote for Democrats as they did in Philadelphia. And the poll workers sure as shit are not supposed to be wearing Democrat campaign gear while they're sitting at the tables. It's wrong and it's illegal. And if that was Republicans, it would have been a massive, massive scandal. But of course we live under communism. So no big deal. They were just Protecting the voters, that's all. So there's an organization now called Protect the Results. And a little further down in the article, Molly Ball writes that Protect the Results, now defunct website, oh, that's convenient. So the website is defunct, oh, that's interesting. Had a map listing 400 planned post-election demonstrations 
to be activated via text message as soon as November 4. To stop the coup they feared, the left was ready to flood the streets. That's from the director of Protect the Results, that little organization. To stop the coup they feared, the left was ready to flood the streets. And we've seen what the left flooding the streets looks like. It looks like businesses on fire and retired cops being killed and people being, being beaten over the head with baseball bats because they're not on the right team or they're not putting their fist up while they have dinner out on a patio since they can't eat indoors. Literally last night, Saturday night, February 6th, Antifa was marching the streets of Washington, D.C., threatening to burn the city down. That's what happens when the left takes to the streets. To stop the coup, to stop the coup they feared, the coup that no one on the right organized and that no one on the right attempted to execute in any way. Again, no violence on the right, not this whole time. Yes, maybe some Trump supporters got involved with Antifa on November 7th in D.C. and some other circumstances, and also on January 6th. But those are random supporters. That's not organized. That's not the movement. That's the fringe. Antifa and Black Lives Matter are the movement on the left. And that's undeniable. The media supported them, tech supported them, the entertainment community supported them, and the Democrats supported them. Joe Biden didn't condemn all the violence. He didn't tell the governor of Washington, the governor of Oregon, that they needed to let the National Guard in or that they needed to clean up the problems in Portland and Seattle. None of that happened. Joe Biden didn't take leadership on that. Kamala Harris was busy tweeting out to Chrissy Teigen about how they need to donate to the Minnesota Freedom Fund so that they can bail criminals out after they destroy the city so they can be let out to destroy the city again. Are they sex offenders? Who cares? And yes, some of them were sex offenders. I'm not making that up. People power, Molly Ball says. Strange bedfellows, she refers to. This is the next section about how the AFL-CIO and the Chamber of Commerce worked together. The AFL-CIO is basically union bosses getting rich on union dues and lobbying Democrat politicians, while the Chamber of Commerce protects big, big business, not little independent stores, not small businesses, big business. They protect big business. And these two join together to make sure that Trump doesn't lose or that good for the worker. That's what the story is. But what's good for business and good for the worker is Donald Trump. Donald Trump handled the economy better than any president in my lifetime, maybe? 
At the same time, we also saw wages rising for workers, particularly the ones at the bottom of the spectrum. But we're supposed to pretend because we're told the AFL-CIO and the Chamber of Commerce agree on something, that that thing is then good for everybody. Moving on. The summer's racial justice protest had sent a signal to business owners, too. The potential for economy-disrupting civil disorder. Wait, what? Molly Ball in Time Magazine, while discussing the secret shadow conspiracy cabal that, quote-unquote, saved the election, has this real stunner of a sentence. The summer's racial justice protest had sent a signal to business owners, too, the potential for economy-disrupting civil disorder. Now, wait a second. I was told last summer that the very peaceful protests were not only necessary because of America's very racist history, but that they were good. I wasn't told that they were disrupting the economy. I was told that business is burning was not violence by Nicole Hannah-Jones. Because, you know, businesses, they're just things. They're just, they're just buildings filled with things. Potentially some of those people, or some of those things are, are people, or, you know, critical files, or, you know, someone's entire inventory for their business. But... Those aren't violence. Those don't count as violence. Because they weren't directly punching or shooting someone in the face, except when they were. And those don't actually hurt people because someone losing their life's work in a matter of seconds because some communists want to express how much they care about quote-unquote racial justice no big deal. It's just a person's life's work. It's not violence. Economy disrupting civil disorder. That was the concern. That was the concern. While they boarded up all their stores in all the big cities because of the very violent Trump supporters who were going to come out and riot if it was determined that Trump lost. A, Trump didn't lose and B, no rioting. Even as the communists on the left combine with all of the old guard and China to steal the election from Donald Trump, the right still doesn't riot. And oh yes, it's because Q is a psyop that was going to pacify the whole right. Right. Potentially, it might be time to notice, like I said yesterday, the right doesn't solve their problems with violence. And if Q is there to pacify the right, then it certainly can't also be 
a violent conspiracy theory. And that should be obvious to everybody. Even commie child brains can figure that out. Back to the article. So the word went out. Stand down. Ooh, what a great phrase. Protect the results announced that it would, quote, not be activating the entire national mobilization network today, but remains ready to activate if necessary, unquote. That's a leftist organization saying that they wouldn't activate the entire national mobilization network, a.k.a. Black Lives Matter Antifa rioting around the country. And that's not me making that AKA up. That's exactly what they're actually talking about. And they're saying, hey, we've probably got this. We're going we're gonna to win. Our, our shadow conspiracy is going to work and we're not going to have to activate the very peaceful violence that we had planned. On Twitter, outraged progressives wondered what was going on. Why wasn't anyone trying to stop Trump's coup? Where were all the protests? Really, she writes this. I, like, I couldn't make this up. Why wasn't anyone trying to stop Trump's coup? Well, because there was no Trump coup. There was never going to be a Trump coup. The same communist liars who promoted BLM Antifa in the first place are the same people that made up the Trump coup narrative. It wasn't true. It isn't true. It was never true. And it never happened at all. We still have thousands of troops in Washington, D.C., an entire military installation, that little foreign country of the District of Columbia, is now protected around the perimeter by an armed military and fencing with razor wire on it. But that's not a coup. That's not a coup. That's just protecting against Trump's coup. Trump's coup that never happened. Trump's coup that they admit never happened. Regarding November 7th, she writes, the votes had been counted. Trump had lost, but the battle wasn't over. Well, that's weird because A, no, not all the votes had been counted by then. Trump had not lost. And the battle, what battle? Oh, the battle to steal the election still wasn't over. Got it. They still had to defend against any court cases, any audits, any discussion of the fact that this was history's most fraudulent election. That a, a man who is practically dead, corrupt for five decades, and has a sexual history in his family that is almost too creepy to discuss. If you don't believe me, why don't you go on a search engine that isn't Google and type in Ashley Biden diary shower 
uncomfortable father. Six words. Type them all in, see what you find. And then, if you think I'm too harsh about Joe Biden, then, if you think I'm too harsh about Joe Biden, you can let me know if you still think that way. So they have another section closer to the end, five steps to victory. It's basically just detailing uh, the planned and coordinated harassment campaign against anyone who might side with Trump. I'm talking about state officials, officials in state legislatures. They focus primarily on a couple of legislatures, uh, legislators out of Michigan, uh, Shirky and Chatfield. Vicious harassment. Now, Trump's side didn't threaten anyone in a coordinated fashion. And listen, I am not saying that every Trump supporter has clean hands. I've never said that. If you think I've implied it, you've heard me wrong. I'm talking about organized, coordinated behavior or trends, all right? Some people saying that someone should die on Twitter. I know, we're, I know we all get to call those death threats, but they're not. I interviewed uh, Milo Yiannopoulos in, I think, 2015 or maybe 2016. And I was liberal. I was a Hillary voter back then. In fact, I'm sure it was 2016. And in the comments on the YouTube that Milo and Breitbart posted, there were people talking about how they're saving a bullet for my head because I'm a liberal, right? Did I take that as a death threat? No. It's how people talk in hyperbolic language online. It happens all the time. I didn't call the FBI. I didn't try to make a public case about how I was being threatened for my views. Wah! Give me a break. I posted a Trump hat last summer on Instagram and had people that I knew from years before trying to pretend that they knew stories about me sexually assaulting somebody. Never happened. You know, I screenshotted it, I blocked the guy, I talked to him, uh, an attorney friend of mine, and that was it. You don't have to overreact to everything. Yeah, if you're outspoken, people will threaten you. That's the internet, it's how it is. Who the fuck cares? You either did it and you have a guilty conscience or someone's lying and you can't focus on it. So you move on like a normal person. Hey. You roll with the punches. That's just how it is. But these Republican officials who even considered siding with Trump were harassed to no end. And it's on video. There's proof. They were doxxed. The two, uh, the two county election officials in Wayne County, in Michigan, in Detroit, who were challenging the fact that the voter rolls, 72% of the voter rolls didn't match the actual votes. They couldn't reconcile who actually voted. And so two of them were not going to vote to certify that vote. What happened? They were harassed online. They're, they're, they were doxxed. Their kids were threatened. And we have to pretend that's okay 
because the left said that what they were doing with their legitimate concerns about the validity of Detroit's vote was racism. Because of course, everybody in Detroit is black. And so if you question what they just did in Detroit, the fraud that actually occurred that we're gonna see this week, by the way, because the Gateway Pundit has video of the vans bringing in the illegal ballots at 3.30 in the morning to the TCF Center. But challenging that is racist, even though we have proof challenging it is racist. Because everyone in Detroit is black, we know that. And black people always vote for Democrats, we know that too. Even though Democrats continue to hold leadership positions in predominantly black areas, in blue states, so blue cities in blue states. Democratic mayors, Democratic governors, Democratic senators at the federal level, majority state governments are Democrat, and they have the worst results anywhere for minority communities. And we're all supposed to believe that minority communities are so clueless about everything that happens that they continue to vote for these terrible people. That right there is racist. That's Democrat racism, 100%. And then the last, sec the last section here is how close we came. And regarding January 6th, Molly Ball writes, much to their surprise, the thousands who answered his call were met by virtually no counter demonstrators. To preserve safety and ensure they couldn't be blamed for any mayhem, the activist left was, quote, strenuously discouraging counteractivity. Podorzer texted the morning of January 6th with a crossed fingers emoji. Except the left did show up. And they were to blame. That's John Sullivan in Antifa. I don't need to go over it again and rehash it. But again, this is just blatantly false. This is exactly the opposite of the truth. Ball writes, Trump addressed the crowd that afternoon, peddling the lie that lawmakers or Vice President Mike Pence could reject states' electoral votes. That's not a lie, that's true. He told them to go to the Capitol and fight like hell. Now, what she just wrote is a lie. He said, we have to fight like hell or we won't have a country anymore. He did not say to go to the Capitol and fight like hell. He said, I understand a lot of you are going to the Capitol to peaceably and patriotically demonstrate. And separately, he said, we have to fight like hell or we're not going to have a country anymore. And he's exactly right about that. Because the goal of the movement on the left, the globalist goal is so that we don't have a country anymore, a one world government. And this is not a conspiracy in any way. They also want China rather than the United States to be the military that protects this one world government, that holds this one world government in place, that enforces the totalitarian rule because they know that America will not do it. So if somehow they can get America under the thumb of the globalist tyranny, then they can progress unimpeded. There is no America to stop them anymore. There is no American military to defend America. 
There's only the Chinese military and other militaries that are subordinate to the Chinese military. And that is exactly what they want. And that, again, is not a conspiracy. It's just fucking true. Then he returned to the White House as they sacked the building, the Capitol building. As lawmakers fled for their lives and his own supporters were shot and trampled, Trump praised the rioters as very special. Now, literally every word of that is false. They didn't sack the building, and that wasn't Trump supporters doing it. As lawmakers fled for their lives, no, no, they didn't. No lawmaker's life was ever in danger, not at any point, not one single point on January 6th was a lawmaker's life in danger. Not once. His own supporters were shot and trampled. That's interesting. How many other people besides Trump supporters were shot and or trampled? Zero, right? Did anyone hear about anyone on the left being hurt? We already know that the Capitol Police officer that they pretend got killed by being beaten with a fire extinguisher. We know that wasn't true. And now even CNN admits that. It was his final attack on democracy, and once again it failed. By standing down, the democracy campaigners outfoxed their foes. Okay, so we are supposed to believe the lie that Antifa and that left counter-demonstrators did not show up at the Capitol. We know on a provable objective level that that is false. That is just flat out false. But they get referred to as democracy campaigners because they're Democrats. So when Democrats don't riot, they are outfoxing their foes. And when Trump supporters don't riot, as they were never going to, they're not outfoxing their foes, they're actually behaving because the Democrats plan this secret conspiracy cabal has planned everything out so well that the Trump supporters are subdued by the intelligence of the plan. It is honestly shocking that anyone can believe this, but she writes it and commies do believe it. She goes on, Trump is in Florida facing his second impeachment, deprived of the Twitter and Facebook accounts he used to push the nation to its breaking point. What? What? Trump pushed the nation to its breaking point on Facebook and Twitter, and thank God that's gone. No more breaking point. Everything is solved now that Trump is off Facebook and Twitter. This is batshit. As I was reporting this article in November and December, I heard different claims about who should get the credit for thwarting Trump's plot. Well, no one should get credit for thwarting Trump's plot because there was no fucking plot. They made it up. Then they stole the election 
under the guise of protecting the election. And then they claim victory for defeating a plot that never existed. This is insanity. It's astounding how close we came, how fragile all this really is, says Jeff Timmer, the former Michigan GOP executive director. Keyword there is former. It's like when Wiley e. Coyote runs off the cliff. If you don't look down, you don't fall. Our democracy only survives if we all believe and don't look down. That is really <laughs> pretty telling. That democracy survives is by imagining something that simply isn't there. Like, for instance, Donald Trump's threat to democracy or the coup or all the rioters or that Donald Trump was in charge of the Proud Boys who needed to stand down or stand back or stand by or whatever the most triggering thing is. The final passage of this really extraordinarily ridiculous piece was, democracy won in the end, the will of the people prevailed. But it's crazy in retrospect that this is what it took to put on an election in the United States of America. But it didn't take any of that. That's what it took to get a half-dead, demented, degenerate man who's unable to form complete thoughts, who didn't bother campaigning, who does not represent the will of the voters or really any of the people of the country. It's what it took to get that man elected against one of the most popular and loved presidents in American history. That's not what it took to put on an election. It's what it took to steal an election in the face of a landslide. And that's exactly what they did. I will be back tomorrow at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns do not work. And Joe Biden will never be president. Goodbye. Whether you're a total newbie to podcasting, or even if you've had a show before like me, you know how intimidating it can be to start your show. The tech side especially can be daunting. That's why I'm so grateful Anchor exists. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. They knock down all the barriers to entry. Let me explain. First off, it's free. I don't know how or why, but I'm happy about it. The platform's great. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. I can't even begin to describe how much easier it was to get my show on all the major platforms this time than it was a few years ago. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. That's right. You build your show, you make money. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place, and the company is committed to the success of its content creators. Go download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Thanks for listening. Please 
follow the podcast on Instagram and Parler at I'm Your Moderator. Soon I'll be up on Rumble with a video aspect. In the meantime, if you'd like to support the show, I have a Substack, I'm Your Moderator.substack.com, where you can donate, or you can donate at anchor.fm by searching Be Reasonable with your moderator, Chris Paul. I hope to see you soon. Back out on the rain. Backing as moderator for tonight's broadcast. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter, and Gab at I'm your moderator. I also have channels on Rumble, and bit shoot. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at I'm your moderator.substack.com. The merch site is cancelcouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofa. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon, down on the range. It's hell!